And I'm excited to be able to get to talk with you briefly about two of my favorite passages in Scripture. When Clay asked me back in June to preach this weekend, and he told me what his sermon series would be on in July and August, Why the World Needs Jesus, I knew exactly the passages that I wanted to preach on. Because if there is anything that today's church needs to hear and know with absolute confidence, it is that the life that Jesus talked about and promised his listeners that they could have is not something that is far, far away, but it's right here, right in front of you and completely accessible to us. So one of my favorite passages, John 10.10, Jesus says, There's a thief who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I come that you might have life and life to the full. And it's in that full life, that abundant life, that life bursting with, with eternal purpose and significance, operating powerfully in healing and reconciling love, that I see a world hungering for spiritually today. I believe that most of the people that I meet and I talk to want to live their lives in such a way that make a difference in other people's lives and make a difference by moving the world around them toward deeper and greater joy. So the two scriptures that we're looking at this morning from Deuteronomy and Luke describe events that are separated by about a thousand years. And yet they seem to be saying something that points to the, the exact same thing. And so in our Deuteronomy reading, the scene is Moses giving instructions to the Israelites as they are on the verge of entering the promised land that God has promised them. And in Deuteronomy, there are stories, reminders of how far God's people have come with God's help. In Deuteronomy, there's also some law. There are strict instructions on how the Israelites are to conduct their behavior, maintain holiness, form community, show regard for strangers, also how to worship God. And then there's also some prophetic blessings and warnings. And so at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the Israelites that, that if they stand faithful, things will go well for them in the land that they're being given. And if they don't, well then things may not go so well. And the description of what Moses gives that happens after that makes our inflation and war-ridden world look pretty tame. But that's the point. God and, and then Moses speaking for God know that the Israelites will not be able to live up to all that God has taught them and called them out of slavery to be. They're going to mess up. And sometimes they're going to mess up pretty bad. There is no way, and they know this, there is no way they will be able to fulfill all the law. They won't even be able to remember it all. If left to themselves, they will fail miserably, which is precisely why God will never leave them to themselves. The word of God, as the scripture was read this morning, will always be near to them. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? Why do you think that would be something the Israelites would need to hear, that the word of God would always be near to them? Many Old Testament scholars believe that Deuteronomy 
came into its final form, centuries after those described events, after Moses' speech during the Exodus took place, and that it was really a story intended to teach God's people in exile in Babylon in the 6th century B.C., that they were still a people with a history and a destiny and a purpose, and they may have forgotten the promises of God, but God had not forgotten the promise. The word of God would always be near to them. I hope this is beginning to sound like some good news for somebody this morning. Because when Jesus appears, he makes an even more audacious claim. If God had promised that God's word would always be near, the way that it would be near would be in person of the embodied word in Jesus himself. And if ancient Israel would know the promise of God through the word of God, the people of Jesus' day would experience the presence of God and the word of God in the life and the ministry of Jesus so, so if you're wondering what life might look like if God showed up on the scene, you'd have to look no further than Jesus. People get healed. Sins are forgiven. Relationships are restored. The hungry are fed. Mercy is shown. Outsiders become insiders. The powerless are given power. And in the New Testament reading this morning, Luke tells us the story of Jesus entering this unnamed village to be met by 10 men with a leprosy-like disease and having heard of Jesus' power to heal, they cry out for Jesus to be merciful to them. So Jesus tells them to appear before the local religious priest before they can get to them. They are healed. Now, Luke makes a point to say that only one comes back and offers thanks to Jesus, and that person was a Samaritan, an outsider, a stranger. In the next verse, Luke very quickly changes the scene to a conversation with the Pharisees, the insiders, by the way, over when the kingdom of God would come, and it's not an accidental shift. Luke knows exactly what he's doing on the tail end of a story about leprous men being healed and a Samaritan being offering praise and thanks to Jesus. The religious leaders question Jesus about the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. And I don't know about you, but I think that's fascinating to the very people who had dedicated their entire lives studying the word of God and interpreting it to the people, Jesus, in a healing miracle to an unknown group of lepers from an unknown village says, quit looking so hard for the kingdom of God. It is already here and it's right in front of you. And that begs another question, doesn't it? What is the work of the people of God when the kingdom of God is right here and right now. So, so let me pause there just for a second because I know what you're thinking. I mean, Jesus, when he said that, Jesus was really referring to himself as he was talking to the Pharisees. He was the embodiment of the kingdom and the kingdom that was in their midst. And in fact, he was the kingdom himself. And maybe you were taught at some point 
that that was all that Jesus was saying, but, but that's a little curious, isn't it? Why would Jesus offer the hope of a present and realized kingdom only to take it away? Well, you'll be happy to know that he didn't. In fact, in, in Scripture, whenever you hear language like the body of Christ in the New Testament, you can pretty much bet that it's being used by someone who believes that Christ is still living and present in ministry that a group of people are performing in his name. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then I love this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. And he's really speaking to a community that's, that's speaking life and encouraging life to and for each other. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love. After, at the end of Galatians, after telling the Galatians that it's for freedom that they've been set free, Paul reassures his listeners that the way that they're going to live into that freedom will be God's Holy Spirit living inside of them. So, so not only will the word be near to them, not only will they live inside of Christ's presence, but God's own spirit will be planted in them, and from that will come the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, generosity, kindness, gentleness, and faith control, self-control. Is it possible that God's plan for establishing a reign of love and truth and wisdom and hope through which the world, real people, would experience radical healing community has always been through the route of calling out a people who would live in intimacy with God and live with the confidence that God is not far away, but God is near. In, in the words of Jesus, in your midst. As I was thinking these past weeks about what a community looks like, that believes and lives like, like God is near and strengthening and leading, I, I found it easier um, to just jot down some snippets of phrases that pieced together, I think, paints a picture of kingdom life. And so here's the answer that I came up with to the question, what things would you expect to see if the kingdom of God was in your midst? So this might be my version of Paul's Fruits of the Spirit. Here you go. Here's some, here's some snippets of phrases. Ready? Healing, hope, new life, transformed life, shared life, real community and deep relationship, people on a mission, faith, freedom, forgiveness, a passion for fairness and justice, joy, celebration, Integrity of character, maturity of character, 
people speaking wisdom, an atmosphere of encouragement, a culture of honor, risk-taking faith, radical hospitality, welcoming the stranger, passionate worship. Did I say joy? Joy, Jesus. And I could go on. All of these things are in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And if we were to gather in the boardroom and brainstorm on the board what it was that we wanted people to experience the moment they walked onto the campus of Woodmont Church, I think our list would closely resemble this one. Why does the world need Jesus? Because the world needs believers living out of the presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit producing the fruits of the Spirit. But here's the good news. And the very thing I want us to lean into this morning, these things are not far away from us today. In fact, they're here right now, accessible and empowering. They're part of God's plan for us to live inside of a kingdom where God reigns in love and then welcome others into that reign. And the pattern for living this is so simple. So we see it laid out in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a pattern followed by the Israelites trying to be faithful in the promised land and also by the earliest Christians as they meet together daily in people's homes. And so I've summarized it in, in, in three R words so, so I can remember it better. And, and as I get older, I find that I like things that I can remember. Amen, everybody? So the words are these, remind and renew and re-energize. And so if you're new to our church, one of the things that probably has stood out for you is that we take communion every single week. And then growing up in the church, I would see on communion tables the words, in remembrance, we have it in ours too, remembrance of me, in remembrance of me, written on the front of the table. And there's something that's very powerful about reminding ourselves every week in worship who we are and what we've been called to be. And just like the ancient Israelites would gather at regular festivals to celebrate God's goodness and provision in their lives and hear the law read to them, we gather to celebrate that we are together the body of Christ, living now in the presence of Christ. We rehearse stories of Jesus' life and ministry that we may have heard a hundred times before. We sing hymns and songs and we offer our thanks to God for the gifts that we've been given. We remind ourselves that we live in God's story and we are a people who are called out by God to carry God's healing presence. And so in reminding, we renew. And how many of us need some renewal right now, right? I'm hoping that Clay and his family are getting renewed at the beach this week. So summer is a time of renewal for our families. It's a time to, to change up our patterns a little bit. Paul says in Romans 12 that to be renewed by the transforming of our minds is part of our act of worship, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And one of our prayers that I have for our weekly worship together is that we all come and are renewed and refreshed and encouraged by each other as we rest in the presence of God here in this sanctuary. I found that the work of being renewed so often looks like being encouraged by others and formed by a version of life that's different from what the world around me offers. A version that speaks to me at my best and most gifted and most loving and most joyful 
And then as renewed people, as people being renewed by the presence of God, we begin to re-energize. Have you ever met someone who can just walk into a room and the atmosphere of that room just changes? Charlie, it's you every time you're walking to pickleball on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> Everybody's, Charlie's here! <laughs> the commish. I can't think, help but think that what happens every time that one of us goes to work or home or sports league or school or grocery store or I-24 in rush hour, you name it, it is an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruits of the Spirit in us. So 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that our lives are a Christ-like aroma rising up to God. And so just like going to the gym, energy breeds energy. And when we live out of poured out mission and the love that God has called us to, life feels more purposeful. We live with greater clarity and focus. And we experience the joy of knowing that the hurting people, the searching people, the hungering people, the thirsting people, all the people will experience the nearness of God, the kingdom of God, the healing of God in us. So here you go. Remind, be in the place where stories of God's love are being told. Renew, be in the place where your mind can experience rest and receive a fresh word and vision from God. And then re-energize, be in the place where the kingdom of God is boldly proclaimed at is lived out by the people of God. So it's a pattern of spiritual practice in which we follow and we grow and we reach out in love because, in case you haven't heard, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for pouring out your gifts in this place on your people for the purpose of calling people into deep, healing, saving relationship with Jesus. We thank you for the work of renewing that goes on here every Sunday morning as we worship together, as we give praise and thanks for the, for the amazing things you are doing in our lives, reconciling people together, restoring our hope, giving energy to, to our, our bodies that just sometimes just feel tired, God. So we thank you for renewing us and then giving us the mission of re-energizing those around us with a word of, of, of hope, a relationship that brings life and love and confidence, but also a, a mission of healing, God, sharing life together, welcoming the stranger into, into relationship with us so they can experience the real lived presence of Christ. Thank you, God, for seeing in us but we can't often see ourselves. And using us for your grace and glory, we pray through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, amen.